Yes, I'm convinced it is the least understood concept in the Bible, probably one a lot of people haven't even thought much about, maybe have heard the expression, but it's still, from my perspective, the least understood concept in the Bible. But probably, I would say likely, I would say, yeah, I think it's definitely the most helpful to understand so much about the Bible. And we're going to talk about that some more today. We started last week on it. We're going to pick it up again. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is. This is the place where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We believe that God wants to help us be the kind of people that trust Him and believe Him and walk with Him in faithfulness. And so we're going to do that here, and we're going to help each other do that, and we're going to continue that today. I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. So yes, I pastor a real church. Uh, Sometimes people use the name pastor and they're not associated with the church, but no, I serve a local church, Diplomat Wesleyan. We have great people and we are pleased to provide this program for you in hopes that it will help you grow your faith and your confidence in God. And that's why we do it. We do it to, to provide support, to help you make sense of life and make sense of the Bible and to understand the things that God wants to help us understand. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending some time with us. And we're going to jump in and talk about this concept that is so little understood. We use the word, but we really don't grasp the the importance of, or the extent of, or the, the rich meaning of the concept of covenant. And specifically, I want to talk about the concept of God's covenant with Abraham, started out being called Abram, and the name changed to Abraham is part of understanding covenant. We'll talk about that a little bit. But we're going to talk about what God was up to when he approached Abram in Genesis chapter 15, so that they could begin to have this covenant relationship and be covenant partners. Now, the other thing that we should probably clarify a little bit is that sometimes we just use the general word covenant. I often do that. But what we need to really recognize is that this is what in ancient times and by tradition in in many areas around the world was called a blood covenant because it involved the sacrifice of animals and in certain situations, the cutting of a mark on the body of the people involved in the covenant. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But it was a very serious thing. And I know people these days get a little squeamish when they think about, well, why do animals have to die? as part of what God is up to in the world, and as part of what is described to us in the Old Testament. And then they might take it a step further and say, well, why did Jesus have to die? I mean, it seems like it's just an awful lot of of death, an awful lot of unpleasantness. Well, and to be sure, it is unpleasant. Nobody would defend that it's pleasant. But I guess if nothing else, all of this reminds us that God takes sin very seriously. Sin has serious ramifications, and God wants to provide both a remedy for it and a reminder to us that we need to walk away and follow him, turn from sin to Christ and walk with him. So let's talk about this idea of covenant. Let's remind ourselves of some of the things we talked about last week, and then take it a little bit further on some things that helps explain one of the one of the profoundly impactful stories in all of the Bible, 
And yet it's one that so many people wrestle with. And how do you explain what happened? And we'll get to that. But first, let's start in Genesis chapter 15, because this is the chapter where God approached Abram and offered to be his covenant partner. The covenant ceremony, as it's been passed down to us over time, consisted of a number of steps. And one of the steps would have been the exchange of outer garments, or in those days would have been the exchange of robes. And what that represented, and there was a significant part of the, of the introduction of the covenant commitment of the two parties, is the two men who had decided to go into covenant would exchange their robes, and in, in doing so would blur or exchange identities. So now if you saw one gentleman, you saw the other gentleman. You saw the other gentleman, you saw the first gentleman. They were no longer two distinct entities, but when you saw one, you always saw the other. And that was the idea of, of exchanging outer garments, is, is to make sure people understood their identity now was not solely their own, but they had entered into partnership with someone else and they shared this identity. Then they would share, or I should say ex exchange, belts. And, and one would give his belt to the other, they would just, just trade back and forth. And that was a sense of shared assets and liabilities. So now the partners entering into covenant were demonstrating to everyone that, that all of my resources are at the disposal of my covenant partner. And of course, my covenant partner takes on all of my liabilities. So you wouldn't enter into covenant without some careful thought. You wouldn't want to take on someone else's liabilities without knowing what you were getting into. Now, we tend to think, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody else's assets? But it also included the liabilities. But, but they agreed, and that's what would happen in a covenant partnership. They had thought this out. And so as part of the ceremony, they would exchange robes for identity and belts as a symbol that they were sharing their assets and liabilities. They would also, next in the ceremony, exchange weapons. So they would give each other their weapon. And in doing so, it was a demonstration that they were now sharing enemies. So if one man had an enemy, they, that man became the other covenant partner's enemy and vice versa. So that with enemies threatening them, they would realize that if I take on this one guy, I've got to take on the covenant partner as well. And so there was, a, there was an exchange or a sharing of enemies because of the exchange of weapons. So that was a kind of beginning talk of, of or a beginning introduction to the covenant ceremony. And, and it was these exchanges, this, this shared life that they would begin to have that characterized the covenant and particularly the blood covenant. Well, in Genesis chapter 15, God approaches Abram and begins to talk to him about how he will be his, his um, shield and his great reward. That starts out in verse one. And, and Abram objection says, well, you know, what can you do for me? I don't have an heir. And God says, no, you will have an heir. It will be your son and you will have descendants more than you can count. The famous reference here is when God says, look at the sky and see if you can count the stars. That's how many people will be your descendants. And the pivotal verse of Genesis chapter 15 was verse six, where it says that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So believing God was very important to God. And Abram demonstrated that he believed it. He believed it. it seemed entirely improbable by anything that Abram might have understood. 
anything that his wife would have understood. There's more to that story that unfolds later in Genesis. But Abram believed it. And God pronounced that he was the sovereign Lord. I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. Uh, God says that in verse 7, and Abram responds, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each of these three, or each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram, go get animals. Well, this was the clue, this was the key indicator that what was about to happen was a covenant ceremony, a blood covenant ceremony. God and Abram were going to become covenant partners. When God said, go get animals, Abram and all of the readers of this story, except us who are not familiar with this concept of covenant, all of the other people would have understood something significant was happening because the creator of heaven and earth had now come to Abraham or Abram at this point. We often call him Abraham and I get that confused, same as anybody else does for good reason, because once he changed from being Abram, it was very significant. And we'll get to that. But Abram went and got the animals and cut them, as was the custom and the expectation in a covenant ceremony. And they laid the animals out, the sacrificed animals, and they made a figure eight between the two halves of the animal, known as the walk of death. And this is where they made their commitments one to the other, and where they would often say to each other that if I fail to live up to my covenant responsibilities, I'm worthy of death, the same as this animal died to make this covenant complete. So Abram and God participated in this, except that Abram didn't get his chance, really, because God put him aside, put him asleep. It's really remarkable to read that. I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 15. It's really, really something when you, when you begin to really understand this as covenant stuff. But, but God put Abraham, Abram aside so he wouldn't, some people say, wouldn't mess up the covenant ceremony. I think probably on a deeper level, God was putting Abram aside saying, I'm going to walk through this as my part of the covenant. I am God and I'm going to do this. And then there was a second described entity. It's really interesting in, in here that uh, verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. See, that's part of the covenant ceremony was to, to make this figure eight between the pieces of the sacrificed animal. And here God goes through in a second, rather interestingly described entity. Not only was it a smoking fire pot, but a blazing torch. And that reminds us that God himself was making this covenant. And in a most remarkable way, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, because there were, remember, there were two participants here. The second person of the Trinity steps in and represents Abram and all of the people that would follow. So in a sense, in a very real sense, that will become obvious with the, with the completion of this covenant idea, with the coming of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, God was taking responsibility for the covenant from the very beginning, because he walked through, and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, walked through, representing Abram and all of the people that would follow in Abraham's family, and ultimately all people in all the world, both Jews and Gentiles. So this was the beginning of the idea of covenant. Very significant what takes place here in chapter 15, but it's not the end of the, of the story. It's just the beginning of this covenant idea. 
And as the covenant idea unfolds, we see life goes on, but every now and then it's punctuated by an event that has its parallel in a covenant ceremony. Now, you might say, well, why didn't they do all of this at once? I don't know the answer to that. Apparently, for whatever God's design and purpose was, it was better to do it a step at a time. Maybe Abram needed that opportunity. Maybe, Maybe Abram and his family needed that opportunity to kind of get used to the idea. But anyway, the story unfolds in chapter 16, and it's a rather unfortunate series of events where Abram and Sarah decide they're going to get out ahead of God and try to solve this problem of an heir by a different method, by giving Sarah's servant, her slave, to Abram to have her bear a child. In those days, that was a customary thing to do. Offensive as as it may be to us, that's what they did. And sure enough, she had a child. You may remember that that the child was born of the slave woman and became, in a sense, the heir that Abraham had been looking for, and and his name was Ishmael. That takes place in chapter 16, but then God has other ideas because the covenant needed to be continued, and so in in chapter 17, we see the the introduction of the command of of, uh, covenant marking or circumcision. One of the steps in a covenant ceremony was where each participant would put a mark on their body that would be a reminder of covenant. And often it was they would cut a slit with a knife in their wrist to let the blood flow. They would sometimes then put their wrists together so the blood would mingle, and it would be a demonstration, a symbolic demonstration that they were now joined as covenant partners. And there's historical evidence that in some areas where they did this cutting of the wrist, that the partners would rub dirt or some other kind of material in that wound to make sure there was a very distinct scar there so that the, the, the evidence of, of covenant would never go away and it would be clearly marked, clearly distinguishable to anybody who wanted to see it. Well, there was also, and it's a kind of a curious thing that God does here, and he, doesn't, he asked for a mark on the body gives Abram instructions for that mark, but it's not cutting his wrist. It's the rite of circumcision. And so God comes along and instructs Abram in in chapter 17 that it's time for this idea of circumcision. And so Abram and his household are circumcised, and that's the mark on the body, the, the step that's required in blood covenant ceremonies to distinguish this person who has entered into covenant. So now Abram has has done that. And also in chapter 17, along with this idea of a mark on the body, we hear God pronounce blessings on Abram for what he is planning to do so that Abram hears God talk about the blessings that will follow from this covenant. And he restates them for Abram all through chapter 17. It's really quite remarkable. To, uh, to hear the, the blessings unfold in Genesis chapter 17. And there's one other element of the covenant ceremony that takes place in chapter 17, which is why we now call Abram, Abraham. As part of a covenant commitment, the two partners would agree that they would somehow blend their names together. In some respects, the way we sometimes today 
when people get married, use hyphenated names. That's an example of how names are inserted to demonstrate that the two people now are joined together in a covenant. And we speak of marriage as a covenant. Well, how do you insert the name of God into the name of Abram? Well, we know from Jewish tradition, from the Old Testament and from the the way people reverenced God, we know because God said that we were supposed to reverence his name, you remember the Ten Commandments, that people were so concerned that they not abuse the name of God, that they, they didn't even want to speak the name of God. And, and in some respects, they didn't even want to write the name of God. They were very careful to reverence the name of God. You, you know, as a parenthetical thought, we ought to, we ought to pause and think, how do we reverence God's name? Almost every day, I will hear someone make a reference to, oh my, and they'll fill in God's name. They'll, they'll do one thing or another, and it's almost as though it's become a figure of speech or an expression. And I sometimes wonder, are we conscious to realize that we need to reverence the name of God and not use it in common ways? But we need to, to take care to honor God and to to, to reverence that name. Well, they would do that in, in ancient times and particularly throughout the biblical story. And one of the ways they did that is that they would write the name using consonants and not vowels. And, and you've probably seen it written that way, um, standing for Yahweh. Well, the way it would be written in English was is such that it really can't be pronounced and indeed in the hebrew it was written that way so it couldn't be pronounced and it was more like just a breath sound um and and in some respects that's the way we understand the holy spirit represented as, as the wind or the breath of god well you can't really pronounce that it's just an aspiration a, if you will and so when abram and god were finalizing this covenant ceremony one of the things that God said is you will no longer be called Abram, but you will be called Abraham. And so we see that breath sound inserted, which tells us that, that now Abram was Abraham, and he had God's name inserted in his name. So everyone would know that Abram, Abraham, was now the covenant partner with God. Something special had happened. And always we have heard reference to so, so many repeated times that, and, re, and we refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because there was a special relationship there. And it's demonstrated by this covenant idea from the identity to the sharing of assets, to the enemies, to the mark on the body, to the blessings promised to Abraham, and now to this exchange of names that signifies that God had made this commitment, this covenant with Abraham. Very interesting and significant. So, so we need to think about all of these things that, that pop up from time to time. Same is true for Sarah. Her name was changed, Sarah. And so there's a, there's a breath sound put in there demonstrating her part in the covenant as well. So God is very serious about this, and he, he takes it very seriously, and he wants us to take it seriously. And so we're now up to verse 17, or I'm sorry, chapter 17 of Genesis, and we've seen unfold in Abraham's lifetime a number of specific events that indicate a covenant relationship with God. Genesis chapter 18 unfolds, and there are 
three visitors that show up to see Abraham, to visit him, and they present themselves, and Abraham makes every effort to, to demonstrate the expected hospitality, prepares a lavish meal for them, entertains them as befitting a man of Abraham's standing, and, and they speak to him and explain to him that, that uh, well, you are going to have a son, and uh, it, it won't be long, in about a year's time, you'll have a son, and uh, you should get ready for that. Well, Sarah thinks that's kind of funny, and she laughs, but they're serious about that, and they, demonst they demonstrate clearly by their statements to Abraham that this will happen. Well, what's the, what's the deal about this meal here? Well, one of the ways we could see this meal was God sent three representatives to talk to Abraham. That's, we, we kind of can get our minds around that. Uh, and the significance of the meal, yes, they had some, some expectations of hospitality. But we also know that a covenant ceremony was characterized by a celebratory meal where the parties would have a lavish feast and enjoy themselves and, and have a time of uh, celebration over the, the covenant. And so when these three visitors show up representing God and giving Abraham God's message and Abraham providing this meal for them, we can see that as a further evidence of covenant because now God and Abraham, God through the representation of these three visitors, God is represented and they have this meal that they share together that Abraham provides for them. Covenant ceremonies were completed by a celebratory meal. That's one of the things that we see at, at our wedding receptions. It can be anything from just the, the cake and a few goodies, which is often the case, to sometimes at wedding ceremonies, full meals are served and the guests enjoy uh, a huge banquet. Well, no matter how it is, no matter how lavish or not lavish it might happen to be, this was a covenant meal that Abraham celebrated with his three visitors. We understand that weddings are celebrated with this meal. We don't necessarily call it a covenant meal. But we also know, and we should make the connection, that, that as Jesus was introducing his disciples and us to the idea of completing the covenant in his lifetime and in his death, burial, and resurrection, he gathered them in the upper room and forever changed the Passover celebration into a celebration of this new covenant. And so when we gather at church, when you gather at your church, when you gather around the Lord's table and you, you partake of the elements of communion, you are celebrating again that covenant meal that Jesus introduced with his disciples in the upper room. So don't take that lightly. That is a hugely significant celebration. That isn't it amazing that, that Jesus has given himself and he has fulfilled the covenant and fulfilled it on our behalf. And now we get to celebrate that around the Lord's table at this covenant meal. Well, life continues to unfold for Abraham and his family. Abraham sees that uh, Sodom is there and they these visitors tell him that God is going to destroy Sodom, and Abraham pleads for it and ultimately intervenes to rescue Lot and his family, and sure enough, they are rescued at uh, considerable effort, but Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed and come to a terrible end because of the sin that they had been involved with. Lot and his daughters escape 
settle nearby. And there's some ugliness in that story, but the Bible tells us the whole story of the ugliness as well. And Abraham meets a guy named Abimelech in chapter 20. His life goes on and continues to unfold. And, and Abraham does some rather disappointing things. Here's a man that's demonstrated great confidence in God, but now does some disappointing things in relation to his wife and, and his, his fear that, that he would be killed because of her. And then in verse 21, it's the birth of Isaac, a great, great event in the life of Abraham. Well, it introduces a great event in the promise of God, but it also introduces some problems because now what do we do with Ishmael and with Hagar, Ishmael's mother? Because now there was competition over the who would inherit things and, and trouble, and that couldn't be had. And ultimately, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Again, another sad chapter in the Bible, and, and we, we kind of shake our heads and wonder how could people make these kind of mistakes, but I guess we need to realize that, well, they're like us. Who among us hasn't made mistakes? Who among us hasn't really messed up, and yet God is able to, to help us through those? And, and one of the remarkable things that I've seen in my life, and you probably have too, when people make mistakes, when bad things happen, when we turn to God and we trust him, he redeems those mistakes. And I have been amazed over my lifetime to see how God has taken absolutely terrible situations, terrible situations, and in a way that I, I still don't know how to explain. Really, I don't. I can see what happens, but I don't know how to explain. God is able to redeem those situations and work with the people and help the people rise up from those situations and walk out in a new life of wholeness before God. And it reminds me that in Abraham's story and in our lives, that God has a way of redeeming the things that we mess up and making the wrong things right and helping us move forward with confidence and hope. And, and if, if a man like Abraham, who demonstrated such absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, if, if Abraham could, could demonstrate such faith in ways we could never imagine to leave his home, to go to a new place that God would show him, to trust God that God was going to give him an heir, even when by all appearances that was impossible. But for Abraham to believe God for all of that, and then to have some of these missteps along the way, it's, it's a little puzzling. But I don't focus on the mistakes so much because everybody is prone to make mistakes. I focus on how God is faithful to help us through them. And if you've wrestled with mistakes in your life, I want to encourage you not to focus on the mistake, but focus on the God who can redeem those mistakes. You know, God doesn't waste the things in our lives. He uses them to build strength into our lives and to move us on in his directions, to stretch us toward his high calling. And we need to think about them that way, not about the problems that we might have caused or the mistakes that we might have made, because we'll always be able to think about those. We don't want to think about the disappointments we have in ourselves. We want to think about how God is greater, greater than the things that happen in our lives, greater than the mistakes that we make, able to turn the wrong things into right. And that's why we want to encourage each other to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And in all of this, and when you begin to see this, this covenant concept permeating scripture, you begin to understand how much God has taken responsibility to 
to provide for and to lead us to the right place with him, how he wants to redeem our lives and make them whole. And that's his whole point. From, from stepping in at the beginning of, of the covenant ceremony and saying, Abraham, Abraham, you just sit over here. I'm going to take care of this. And where God himself and the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, walked through that covenant ceremony. And now continuing on through, whenever Abram, Abraham makes a mistake, God is able to redeem that mistake and, and go forward with that. I'm not always sure how he does it, but he does it. And I'm glad because he's in the business of putting our lives back together. And he wants to do that for all of us. So we're talking about covenant. We're talking about specifically a blood covenant. We're trying to understand the concept of covenant and how it relates to the broader picture of the Bible. And some of these steps in the covenant may help you recognize things as you hear Bible stories and say, oh, no, wait a minute. That sounds like covenant. God is telling us something else here. Might help us to remember that when we talk about God's people throughout the biblical story, they were people of the covenant. And so it reminds us that that covenant was a reality when, when young men in particular reached the age of responsibility in that, in that time, they became active participants and they joined as members of the covenant. They were God's covenant people. And this is the relationship God wants us to remember when we think about how we get along with him. How do we relate to God as his covenant partners? Because that's what we are today. We are God's covenant partners. God is counting on you. He identifies you as his. You identify yourself as his. And Abram was the friend of God in the same way we can be the friend of God. And we carry that responsibility to trust God and to walk with him just the same way Abram did with that early covenant. Well, that's the beginning. We're going to get into the, the rest of the story, so to speak, with Abraham and Isaac in particular and see how that unfolds. I invite you to take a quick break. And we'll all take a breath and we'll get back together in just a minute. Stay with us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is. Hail, my fellow Americans. How did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Now, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, 
and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Time flies when you're with people you love. Cheers to another year together, my fellow Americans, and thank you for being part of the journey. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of 2022 is upon us. Happy New Year, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we've been working our way through this concept that is so widely misunderstood or even not known by people that helps us understand the Bible in so many ways. It, it amazes me that a misunderstood or concept we don't even know about can give us so much insight when we begin to understand it and apply it to the biblical story. So I appreciate you being with us. We're going to pick that story up again. But before I get into that, I want to remind everybody, and, and I say this with a pastor's concern, there's a lot of concern about health and well-being today, particularly related to the virus that's been rampaging across our country. And there's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation, a lot of conversation that goes on out there. But I want to encourage you to listen to Dr. Peter McCullough. He has a program right on this network called the McCullough Report. And if you're looking for reliable, trustworthy information, Peter McCullough is the guy. He's one of the nation's foremost authorities, and you can trust what he says. He brings the evidence, citing studies that have been conducted to tell us what we need to know and do, and he can help you in a, a great deal. I, we don't need to be so afraid of all of this. We need to be aware and informed. Cautious, sure, be cautious, but don't be afraid. And when you begin to understand what people like Dr. McCulloch tell us, it helps us not be afraid. Well, back to our emphasis on and our conversation about our examination of this idea of covenant in the Bible. And we've been tracing the life of Abraham because God approached him when his name was Abram. And as part of the covenant ceremony and the establishment of the covenant with Abraham, he became Abraham. And we now know him as Abraham because he's no longer really known as Abram because everything changed when he entered into covenant with God, including his name. And we talked about a number of the steps involved in a covenant ceremony from the exchange of robes to the exchange of belts to the exchange of weapons. We've talked about animals being sacrificed and the commitments that were made with the walk of death when the parties in the covenant recognized that what they were doing is very serious and had to be taken seriously by them and everyone else. We talked about how the covenant partners would participate in the covenant by putting a mark on their body to indicate that something significant had happened. We talked about how there were blessings to a covenant because God pronounced blessings on Abraham, and that was part of the deal. When you entered into a covenant relationship, there were blessings to both parties, and there were responsibilities to both parties. 
Now we should hasten to add that, and I didn't talk about this before, but, but it's easy to understand the blessings that everybody wants to talk about the blessings of God. Uh, that's great. And I want you to be blessed. I want everybody to be blessed, but we also have to recognize that there are responsibilities before God. And the Bible is our handbook for responsibilities. That's what God has given us. So we will know, and we should be glad. We don't have to wonder what God expects. We can know what God expects because he's explained it in the pages of the Bible. So there are these blessings and responsibilities. There's the exchange of names. We talked about how Abram became Abraham. And now God is known as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So very significant connections going on here, very significant relationship. And this is the pattern, this covenant partnership that God has given us for how we relate to him. We talked about the meal that Abraham served to the three visitors as being representative of the covenant meal, the celebratory covenant, and how those three visitors reminded Abraham that he would have a son, and he should expect it. And, and we linked that idea of a covenant meal celebration to the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper, when Jesus gathered his men and they celebrated that Passover together just before he went to the cross, and how Jesus transformed that Passover into a whole new celebration, a covenant meal around the new covenant that he created in his blood that came to fulfill what started out with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So the covenant meal is very significant. When you gather at your church for communion, covenant meal is very significant and, and celebrate it with gladness and thanksgiving, amazement, and joy. Bring yourself to God and, and, and share that time with him because he's given that to us as the people of God. Well, now we come to some other rather challenging days in the life of Abraham. And this this story is one of those stories in the Bible that, well, I guess I was fortunate. I just learned the story without anybody questioning it or causing me to question it. And so I just learned the story. But as you examine the story, and as you hear it again with, with a little bit more grown-up eyes, you begin to wonder, what in the world is God up to here? And I think it makes so much sense when we begin to understand it through the lens of, through the eyes of, through the understanding of the concept of covenant. And I'm referring to Genesis chapter 22, where Abram faces, Abraham faces his big challenge from God. At least that's the way it seems to us. Abraham doesn't seem to take it that way. That's interesting too. So I want to read that chapter in chapter 22 of Genesis, starting with verse one. So we get the story back in our heads, and we can understand what's going on here. These are the words of Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1 from the New International Version of the Bible. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship 
and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the bird offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood, pardon me, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in, the th in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. What? a story. Who could have ever imagined when this all started out that God had approached Abram, who became Abraham, said, I want to enter into covenant with you, and I will give you a son. Your heirs will be yours. They will not come from a slave in your household. It will be a son that you and your wife, Sarah, have together, and he will be your heir, and your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And this is the promise I'm making to you. And Abram, at that time, Abram believed God. God credited to him his righteousness. And Abram continued the covenant ceremony, became Abraham. And now sometime later, and we don't know how long later, a while, it seems that Isaac had grown to some stature. And there's debate over how old he was. And I don't think that matters to the importance of, of the story. But now God comes and says to Abraham, I want your son. I want you to take your son and sacrifice him there to a place I will show you. Not only does he say that, he says, take your son, your only son. See, God knew that was the only son whom you love. Well, that's quite a, quite a request. Now, cynically, it would be easy for us to say, well, what? What's God up to here? Child sacrifice? Uh, that doesn't sound like the God that we've learned about in the Bible. What's, what's happening here? And, and we wrestle with this, and we think, uh, how could this possibly be? And, and we look at the scriptures, and we, 
we try to understand, and, and we'll look at Hebrews in a minute, that it gives us some idea into Abram or Abraham's mindset. But it seems that without hesitation, Abraham prepares to take Isaac off for sacrifice. It seems that without hesitation, Isaac goes along. We don't have any sense that there was a struggle. We don't have any sense of reluctance on Abraham's part from the, from the story. You heard me read the story. It's as though Abraham just gets about the business of, of taking his son up to the mountain that God is going to show him. Now, why would he, why would he do this? Well, a final step in the sealing of a covenant between two covenant partners was the exchange of eldest sons. And so one covenant partner would bring his oldest son, the other covenant partner would bring his oldest son. And, and it really showed everyone, all of the observers, all of the people who were watching the covenant ceremony unfold, it really showed how serious these two gentlemen were about becoming covenant partners. Because from that moment on, they would exchange sons and they would give their son to the covenant partner to raise for them. And they would take the covenant partner son into their household and raise that son as their own. So now the families were blended even further by the exchange of these young men, these sons. You know, you and I could look at that and say, how could we possibly think about doing that? Because it's our son. How could Abraham possibly think about doing that? This was the son of promise. We often refer to Isaac as the son of promise. He was the one that God promised Abraham to fulfill his desire to have an heir and to fulfill the promise that God had made that his descendants would be so many you couldn't count them, many as the stars in the sky. How can that be? Well, we have a little insight into Abraham's thinking in Hebrews, but we also have insight into the thinking of Abraham through this concept of covenant, because Abraham would have known, and maybe he had been expecting, and we don't know that from the text, but it would not be a great leap to think that Abraham was expecting that one day God would come and say, it's time for an exchange of sons. Now, we don't see God exchange his son until many years later when Jesus came, and that's a, a, the brilliance of covenant, and that's why I think covenant helps us understand so much. But Abraham demonstrated his confidence in God. We talk about the faith of Abraham all the time. And it's true. Abraham had absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. He trusted God's promise. And so maybe Abraham wasn't surprised when God came along and said, all right, Abraham, it's time now for us to exchange sons. I want you to, to give me your son in sacrifice. And I want you to do it in a place that I will show you. And as near as we can tell, the place where God led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac when we're, of course, God intervened, is the same geographic area, if not the same hill itself, where Jesus, the Son of God, came and was sacrificed for the sins of the world. So Abraham takes his son, prepares everything for the sacrifice, fully obedient to God's command, apparently recognizing that this was part of the covenant, maybe not surprised that God asked for it. But we still say, what in the world was going on between Abraham's ears? How could he possibly think about doing this? What, what was going on with Abraham? Well, we do have some insight into what was going on with Abraham. If we look at Hebrews 
chapter 11, we get some insight. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the, the hall of fame of faith. All of these people were, were people who demonstrated great confidence in God. They were confident that God could be trusted, and they, they, many of them put their lives on the line in their faithfulness to God. It says of some of them in Hebrews chapter 11 that the world was not worthy of them. They were people of such stature. Well, Abraham is one of those people. He was, he was a man of enormous stature, and he and his confidence in God started the whole relationship that we enjoy today with God as his covenant people. And that's what we are today, because the covenant wasn't stopped, it was just completed in the coming of Jesus, which is part of the story that I hope you can, you can kind of put together as, as you think about this. We're not going to talk about all of that today, but we're focusing on Abraham and what was going through his mind when he went to take Isaac up there for sacrifice. Now, I, I don't know that we know for sure that Abraham was expecting it, but we do know from Hebrews chapter 11, some of what Abraham thought, because the writer in Hebrews, through the revelation of God to the writer and to us, gives us some insight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, again from the New International Version, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future, and by faith, it goes on with Joseph, and that, or Jacob, and then Joseph, and others that are mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham when God tested him. Well, there's a whole lot of things that we can think about them. I, I think we should ask ourselves that when troubles come our way, do we have that kind of confidence in God that by faith we can trust him? And, and we need to. We need to trust him. And so we do. We work real hard to develop that confidence in God. But what was going on in Abraham's mind as he was walking those three days to the place of sacrifice? And apparently we get the idea that in verse 19 here that, that even though he knew Isaac was the one that God had promised, and even though he knew that it was through Isaac that, that he would have heirs that would fulfill the promise of God, even though he knew that, that Isaac was the one and only key, in, key person in all of that, verse 19 tells us that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So apparently as they were walking along that three-day journey, apparently Abraham had come to grips with the idea that, that he could, he could uh, offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But he was so confident in God that he knew God could raise Isaac from the dead. And in a manner of speaking, because Abraham was faithful to God, he did experience the death of Isaac because he had determined to trust God. Come what may, he was going to walk with God, follow him in the way he needed to go, and not, not shrink, not back down, not give up. He had so much confidence that although he had not seen 
someone raised from the dead, as far as we know. He believed that God could, in fact, give him his son back and would because he believed God was going to fulfill that promise. That's, that's just, I don't know how you wrap your mind around such confidence in God. But isn't that what, what we need to have? We need to look at Abraham's example. We need to learn from the way God dealt with people, including Abraham, down through the years and, and how that can help us have confidence in God. And of course, we see the parallels between Abraham being willing to offer Isaac and God ultimately sending Jesus as a sacrifice for sins. I already mentioned that this was the same geographic area, maybe the same mountain, maybe the same hill that, that Jesus died on. It's a little hard to know that exactly from the, from the records that we have, but it certainly was close by. We know that for sure. We see that it, they walked for three days, and during those three days, it was as though Isaac had already died because Abraham had, Abraham had made up his mind that he was going to trust God. We see the wood that Isaac carried. Jesus carried his cross up to the place of crucifixion. The three days, I'm sure you see the parallel between that and Jesus dying and being buried for three days and then coming back to life. The fact that Abraham returned with Isaac demonstrated that even though he thought Isaac would be sacrificed to God, he was confident that they would come back. In fact, he said to his servants before they left them and started up the hill, he said, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. Isn't that remarkable confidence that Abraham had in God? And then to see the parallels between how God did not withhold his son, his one and only son, but sent him as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. See, what God started in that covenant ceremony, when Jesus took Abram's place, when Jesus walked through that ceremony between the sacrificed parts of the animal, through the what we call the walls of death, when Jesus took on that responsibility to be the representative of Abram, and now all of us, and when Jesus came, it's much easier to understand what God was talking about when Jesus came to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. For the promise that Abram would have made to God was faithfulness and to live up to his covenant responsibilities. And we know Abram didn't always do the best he could have done. He was still a remarkable man, but we don't throw stones at Abram or Abraham. We recognize that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when Jesus came, he came again to represent us at the time to pay the penalty for the breaking of covenant so that a new covenant could be formed, a covenant, as says in Luke, Jesus said, a new covenant in his blood that now became the, the covenant that would wash away the sins of of all people who would believe him and trust in him and walk with him. And so now you and I are invited to enter into covenant with God. It's not any really more complicated than that. And, and the Bible doesn't prescribe elaborate ceremonies like ancient times and some of the things that I've described, but there are certainly parallels to that when we enter into covenant relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, with the creator of heaven and earth, we take on his identity. We take on his name. That's why we're called Christian. We 
we enter into baptism as a distinguishing mark, similar to circumcision in the Old Testament that Abram instituted. We follow the practice of baptism as the initiation into the, the covenant relationship with God. And you can go on and on as you begin to connect the dots in this, it begins to make sense of what God is doing, it begins to make sense even in Revelation when it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And remember, Jesus said he wouldn't participate in that covenant celebration meal that he had with his, his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. He wouldn't participate in that again until it happened at the end of time when he shared it with us in the New Jerusalem. And that's a covenant ceremony meal that we can all look forward to. And can you imagine, I, I can scarcely imagine what Jesus is going to feel like when everybody's there and he gets to participate again. All this time we share in the joys of the covenant, and we even get to participate in the celebration meal every time we gather at church and share around the Lord's table. And then one day Jesus will get to do that with all of us when we go home to be with him. It's a remarkable insight, I think, this whole idea of covenant to help us understand how we relate to God. It talks about the blessings that we enjoy, but it also reminds us of our responsibilities. And we have both of those. Sometimes we want to just think about all the blessings, but we have the responsibilities. And in all of that, God gives us grace to be the people he has called us to be. We're not on our own. We're not expected on our own without any help just to live up to God's expectations. He gives us grace so that we can have faith and have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I invite you to think about that concept of covenant and apply that to your life as you follow Jesus. I find it strengthening and helpful and insightful, and I hope you do too. And we'll be back next week with some more thoughts on how we can develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God and how we can be the people God always imagined us to be because we can trust God, and we do. Let's talk again next week.